live in that tunnel when you and Ragnar were on your knees? If she did not believe in your new world? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hail Reaper. My name is Philip, and this is my good friend Jeremy. How's it going, dude? It's going good. All huh? right, chilling. What's uh, been the week like been for you? Uh, I am off this week. I took uh, the week off from work, and I've just been hanging out. Man, I had an epic like Lego build nice. with uh, with my daughter. Yeah, uh, yeah. The across the street neighbor actually got her a gift, and it was the the uh, friends brand of Legos like like Ross and Rachel <laughs> no they, no they didn't license that they, I wonder if there's an infringement there because they do call it friends okay uh, it, it's it's similar to city so she got a water park and okay uh, I know a city I know what city is yeah so my son and myself kind of double team the Legos because uh, it's a bit of an advanced build okay and uh, my daughter did the people and then my son and I spent like three and a half hours probably building. Nice. It came with two different instruction booklets. So we, we just I double mean, teamed the thing and, and build it. Friends was a complex show. So it makes sense right. that they have a complex setup. Like, you know, and they keep moving apartments, you know, like. Yeah, it was lot. actually Central Perk was, Central. Was, what the, <laughs> was what the build kit was. <laughs> That'd be, I would really be into that. I think they could make money. From, they would make a lot of money. Yeah. I'd I'd be tempted. They, I have no idea why I would want want it, but I just would want it. Yeah. So anyway, it's time for America's new favorite segment. Okay. Nerd talk up top. Access granted. All right. There you go. So we did this last week. Last week we started this on accident. So what nerdy thing are you into lately? Um. What am I into? Like, what's the nerdiest thing you're that you're into right now? Like movies, books, TV, comics. Can I answer Legos? Because is it Legos again? Oh, to think of something new. What else? Um, I don't know. You go first then. Well, I think I watched Dead Poet Society twice in the last week. That's <laughs> not like, nerdy. Is that not nerdy? No, that's amazing. Okay, so I watched it twice in one week, which is really rare for me to watch a movie two times in a week. Um, I think that. Oh, I'm I'm just like now I'm into. Nightwing comics so which is for people that don't know that's a kind of a Batman offshoot I'm not going to get super in the weeds on that but Dick Grayson who is the original Robin grows up to become Nightwing and 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 has his own comic line and it's amazing so is it better than the 60s TV show the 60s TV show for like Nightwing or just like Batman no for Batman like is it better than that yeah um I mean they're two different worlds sure essentially But those those shows are still amazing. They're I ha- really good. I have a DVD of the the movie, the Adam West and Burt Ward as like Batman Robin movie. Um, my favorite scene is when the shark bites his leg, and he is like, "It's use the bat shark repellent." And he like just <laughs> yeah, he, he like a little a little so shark is biting his leg, and he like gets it off by spraying it with shark <laughs> Batman shark like branded shark repellent. He has to have his own branding. Yeah, it's yeah, but it's, uh, um, yeah, that was better than English class at teaching me things like onomatopoeias. I mean, 
before that, it's like you can't teach me what that is. Mm-hmm. But uh, I came up with what I what I uh, nerded out on. What's up? So I've been watching Wheel of Time pretty oh, intently. Okay, yeah. Uh, high fantasy. Uh, Amazon put it out, and it is wonderful. Um, I've only heard of it. I have not seen an episode yet. You, well, I know you would like it. Um, I've heard that it does change, but season one, or specifically book one, is pretty derivative of uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. Uh, it's it's kind of like a a quest adventure of like moving something yeah. along uh, a very fraught with danger sort of uh, Question. <laughs> path. Is Go there ahead. a line in the, show, in the show that says, and my axe, does that happen? <laughs> There, I haven't been listening, but there might be because they do use axes. <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> so there might very well be. In theory, if, if they mention you shall not pass and or and my axe, then I'll I'll watch it. So you no, shall not pass know. has definitely not happened. Okay. The axe part could have. They could have snuck that in. Okay. Um. Anyway, it's fantastic. <laughs> okay, cool. You would really dig it. it it's worth a watch. So. Is it going to be like one of those things where you tell me to watch it and I don't watch it for like two or three years and I finally watch it and then you go, hey, everyone, I, wa- I, I actually watch Wheel Considering that I have completed 20 books that you've suggested <laughs> and you have zero, um, yes, it's probably going to be just like okay, that. Okay, good to know. <laughs> um, well, let's go ahead and actually talk about the show. Uh, so we've been uh, doing The Dream of EO. Uh, we've been talking about that. We spent the last two episodes of um, the show kind of exploring what that even means. and But then we last week we applied it to this sentiment of the rage of Aries. So kind of backtracking just a little bit though, how we've been, uh, we've been talking and discussing and analyzing the last sentence in Morningstar inside the epilogue. And it comes from this moment where Darrow is internally saying, you know, when Pax is old enough, his son, I'm gonna take him, put him on my knee, and I'm gonna tell him of the rage of Aries, the strength of Ragnar, the honor of Cassius, the love of Severo and the loyalty of Victra and kind of discuss that we're discussing each of these qualities and each of these characters and how they connect to the qualities and how each of those things kind of builds to a greater thing, which is Eo's dream, because all those things are needed in order to create that, that liberation that they're all desiring, that they all want to be truly seen as people, not just their station, not mm-hmm. just their color. And so we're, we discussed rage last week and the rage of Aries specifically I thought that conversation was so good for yeah. me. Like, I'm, I'm not saying about, well, we had a great conversation. Everyone should listen to it. <laughs> for me, it was a great yeah, conversation. self-reflection. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that, like, upon reflection, uh, one thing that I just, I felt like was, there was a sweetness to it. Where I don't think that if you, like, think of the quality or this, like, the emotion of rage, you don't think, you don't, you wouldn't think sweet. You know, and I mean sweet, like, not like, oh, that's sweet. Like, yo, bro, like surfer sweet. I mean, like, it's like sweet, like honey. You know, it, it had this quality to it that like we, Pierce Brown, what we think that the inclusion of rage in that sentiment was more because of this righteous indignation, like that thought of it and what that means to to follow righteousness in that, in that vein rather than just pure anger and pure frenzy. And so we kind of went down that path and I just found that it's like for my own life, just found that to be like a really great self-reflective conversation. What about you? Like, what do you take away from the conversation we had last week? I, I think about the prologue episode, the first one in the series, and that we just kind of shared with the listeners that you and I honestly have not defined the dream of you for ourselves. And I think that the Rage episode really 
delivered on that for, again, Mm -hmm. self-reflection. Because it's clear that, especially on a first read-through, we arrived at just very sort of on-the-nose, straightforward answers to some of these questions of of what exemplifies uh, these qualities within the Dream of EO. And it really took just a lot more thought and um, time that we've taken to do all this. And just kind of dialogue between the two, uh, well, between really the whole team, yeah. because Mathar is absolutely included on on the dialogue as well, on figuring these things out. And um, what we come away with, and I don't want to spoil uh, <laughs> anything for the episode, but tends to be very different than what we originally thought. I want to talk about how strength applies in the world and like how it's seen in the world of Red Rising, but then also apply that strength to Ragnar. So... Let's go and take a break. Let's come back and let's talk about strength that is seen in the larger scope of the story, kind of through the prism of the society. If you're seeking legal counsel or in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Turingian Law might just be the answer. They offer a free consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. Now, the great thing about Turingian Law is that there's no doublespeak, no confusing language, no upper commitment. It's just a conversation with someone who wants to understand what you're going through and help you get to the next step. Getting started is easy. Call 559-627-5399 or visit tarigianlaw.com. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. No matter the circumstance, we all deserve peace of mind. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. Once again, that's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com or call 559-627-5399. Tarigian Law. The advice you need, minus the BS. Jeremy, we're back from break. We're going to be talking about strength and how it's seen specifically in the society. And then I want to do a little compare and contrast and eventually talk about Ragnar a lot because this is his quality. Strength is the quality that's personified through Ragnar, according to Darrow. And I want to talk about that too and why that's important and why that's even where it is. So um, the society, how do they view strength, you think, mostly? Well, that's easy. I mean, especially in context of Ragnar because they literally have a bench press competition in the book. <laughs> well, like they have it in Tinos <laughs> between uh, Victra and Darrow and Ragnar. Right. Yeah. And Ragnar is the clear victor. Yeah. So not Victra, <laughs> but Victor. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, I think there is an element of that. And we, we talk a lot about our first kind of approach and reflections on the book. And I think physical prowess is one that is just, A, it's super on the nose. Yeah. And I think with that said, just a quick little tangent is when we were kind of prepping for the show and this was the question looming, I know particularly myself and uh, probably you, but didn't didn't really want to go down the the trail of like even considering physical strength yeah. because it's so obvious. Yeah, it's like well, like, Ragnar is super buff, so like, do we just talk about how buff he is? No, there's yeah. no way Pierce literally put it in because he was actually physically strong. Yeah, <laughs> so you kind of avoid it, but at the same time, I think there is some truth to that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that society looks at strength as a domineering quality. As so, it's not necessarily like like physical prowess, but it's the ability to dominate and exercise your will uh, upon somebody else. 
And I think that's probably the dominant way that society would look at it is like um, through military force, through mm-hmm. uh, physical strength, like at the Institute, right? Through various ways, can I basically um, coerce you or, or force you into doing what I desire you to do? Yeah, for a, for a long time, I think when I thought just like separate from Ragnar, because like I know like separate from this whole like sentiment that we're talking about, the dream of EO, like it's the strength of Ragnar and the honor of Cassius. But if I'm putting all that just completely aside for a moment, and I think of strength, the first person I think of is Aja. Mm. I just like instantly, like it's not even like, it's not even a question. I'm like, go straight to Aja. Right. Um, so strong and powerful. And like, I, I mean, I think of a sad scene, but think of like Trig and how he passed in the story. But just like the all their like all these greys like that are in Attica when uh, they're when Trig and Holiday are breaking Darrow out are firing on them with these gas pistols and gas rifles, and they all stop. Just comes to a sudden end, and then Darrow says he can feel it in the pulse of the battle, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that. A gold is coming, and then like a, some sort of door opens up, and Aja's like some meters away, like a good healthy margin away from where Trig is. And just closes this gap like in seconds flat and just picks him up, picks a grown man up on her razor and just toss him. Like, that's that's insane. That's a sad scene, too. It's a sad, it's a a terrible scene because Trig and Holiday are just all-time faves. Absolutely. But, and Trig is just this, again, like just this, I just like think beautiful, like beautiful soul, like just mentality is so gracious, so giving. Um, Like, but it's so sad and heartbreaking, but just like the, the, I'm in awe of Aja in that moment, just like the ability to be so strong and so powerful and capable. So I kind of instantly think of that character when I think of strength inside Red Rising. But the second thing, kind of like we talked about domination, Hmm. you know, like when, aside from characters now, we're talking about like just how strength is viewed in this world of, not just like the world of the golds, but the world of Red Rising. Yeah. I kind of think of, I think of like, just, I've got one. You got one. So go for it. I want, I'm actually familiar with thought. But I'm wondering if we're vibing on the same go, person. Go. But so uh, Nero. Okay. So Nero for the society's definition is an incredibly strong character. Yes. He exercises his will, right? He, he actually wants uh, his son to make it through the Institute uh, as the primus. Mm-hmm. And, again, coerces, right, through bribery, through various ways. Promises, like, yeah, hey, yep. like, I'll give you this station if you get me at, oh, yeah. Exactly. So mm-hmm. uh, Nero has all of this at his disposal to promise, to pay off, to threaten, right, through all the various means that, that we mentioned, to exercise his will in, in various, in, in all those ways, not only in the Institute, but also in society, also in standing amongst other families under Octavia, um, and I, and I hesitate to actually say Octavia because there's so much that also conspires against her mm-hmm. and there seems to be less conspiracies against Nero's exercise of power. Yeah. I think Nero and Aja, I actually, Nero is another character I would define as like having strength and whereas Aja is a character that does it with her physical abilities, mm-hmm. uh, Nero dominates or has strength with a more like through political capabilities. Yes, absolutely. Um, but both very strong and, and domineering characters mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm afraid of when I read about, you know, like, it's like, wow, like I would never mess with these two people ever. But going back to, I've, I think I've formulated my thought here more. When I think of strength, I think this is something a little adjacent to what we're talking about, but how th- there's this, 
craving for strength in gold culture. Like to the point where they're willing to, like we see this more through Adrius and through Fitchner. They put them on rocks as child, mm. as, as babies. You know, you're, they're born and after, I don't know how many days it is, but that, like after they're born, they would put them on rocks in the wilderness and say if they can last three days and three nights, then they're good enough. They're worthy to be a gold. So like they value strength. They value that. It's not domination, but they value like the strongest survive. And we only want the strongest survive. If the baby dies, like we're cool with that. Because right. they weren't worthy of being a gold. So they're, they're, there's this obsession with it where they're imposing a forced or embellished Darwinism. So like, and you, that's what the Institute is. Yeah. The Institute is like, they're happy when kids like Julian don't make it. Because like, we're good. We, we're getting the weakest removed. It's like, calling it. They're yep. calling it. Like we only, it's not that they want to proclaim a winner. They do. That's mm -hmm. mainly the goal. But there's a side goal that's very much a part of what the Institute is, is getting rid of all these weak kids. Yeah, and in, in season one, we actually talked about that where um, there was this disparity of who was getting the invites to the Institute because mm -hmm. the, you know, um, the best of the best were getting invites, but then the middle just weren't even going. And yeah. they're like, hey, why did this guy get, this guy's an idiot, he's a little pixie, yeah. like bronzy, why is he going? Um, yeah, like several. Several, yeah. exactly. And the, the honest answer is so that he dies. Yeah. You know, and that's exactly what you're talking about. I think, um, you know, you said uh, embellished Darwinism. I think that's a really nice way to put it because Darwinism is something that that they would talk about, that, that gold society would be endeared to. And that's the survival of the fittest mentality. But that's a natural process that, that Darwin yes. is, it, regardless of how you feel about Darwinian uh, theory, it's a natural process, meaning that events will naturally occur in nature and mm -hmm. there will be an outcome. Yeah. But like you said, it's embellished because they're actually taking infant children <laughs> and putting them on rocks that, that, to yeah, die. They're doing it for that purpose. Yeah. Like, they're, they're purposely putting a mismatched pair into a stone room, mm -hmm. you know, purely nude and, and just taken yeah. all tools and weapons away. And, mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen here. Right? Yeah. It's like, that's not a natural process of selection. Mm -hmm. that, that is you altering the game and, and choosing a victor ahead of time. There's this obsession in gold culture with, we want the strongest. We only want the strongest and we can't have anyone that can be weak. And to the point where like you see, we've talked about Priam, you know, in the past mm -hmm. where Priam, we find out later in book one, Priam was paired with Severo. But right. that was like completely fixed. I mean, we know that they're all kind of fixed, right? Yeah. Like, deliberately. But there was that like the last pick in the draft versus a kid that was so physically gifted and capable and was like the next prodigy didn't even have to be drafted, was considered a premier. So got to bypass the draft. And like, so it's like, what are we talking about here? And like, it's not, and they, but they pass it off as if it's noble right. to do this. Like, and that's like the, the gold culture is so skewed in this thinking, but they, they've tell, they tell themselves that this is something that's not only worth doing, but it's a, it's a noble thing to do. I, it's crazy. Roke has this quote. We kind of, oh, I think we all kind of remember this one speaking of that embellished Darwinism that, you know, I can't remember like the exact quote, but I have the percentage here, you know, Roke tells Daryl right after the, the passage uh, that the, the board of quality control is convinced that 13.621% of all gold children should die before a certain age. 
That's wild. It's just like 13% of kids apart from, it's just like, it's so sad, but that's like, that's where that obsession is so real and palpable and alive. And, you know, you contrast that to uh, what, you know, maybe what Ragnar's strength is, which we'll get to momentarily. Um, But, you know, it's so it's so different. Yeah. But you have another thing you thought of that you you when you think of strength inside the story, think of strength inside you know uh, Red Rising. What do you think of? Well, you you already brought up Severo. You you brought up the Rock situation, and I think that like Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Jungle Cruise. The jungle Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, let's not go on that tangent. Um, but you you kind of go down that and and yes it's a type of strength and, and that that type that I do like and probably like I said I I, I ignored the physical prowess mm-hmm. uh, and I probably on my first read landed on um, what I would call like resilience and that is something where for that reason I would put Severo in some sort of a top three or top five that I would that I might do and uh, I, I think the chiefest of of those would be Darrow because um, all you have to do is look at the box. Yeah. And nine months in there, any normal person would go completely insane. Mm-hmm. And I think more telling, it's easy to kind of plot Armor Darrow and say, you know, he comes out of this and um, and gains his sanity back. But I think more so is how do you re-engage after something like that? How do you come out of torture and then essentially go, I'm going to re-enlist in the army. I'm, like, yeah. I'm going right back into bat. Like, I don't, I don't know that more than a handful of, of humans yeah. would, would ever enga- re-engage in something like that after that kind of, that, that level of torture. I think that part of that is like to, you know, we're talking about plot armor or whatever, but part of that is Darrow's a red and reds are as tough as nails. Right. And I think that's kind of part of who Darrow is in a way, but it's also because he's a protagonist and that's just like, that's the specialness. Like if you're going to like put a special quality on Darrow, like what's his superpower, his resilience is probably like his superpower. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's what you would, you would say. But I think Darrow is, yeah, one of the most resilient characters I've ever read about, like, let alone like in this, in this series. So when we approached this episode or actually a while ago, like when Mathar and Jeremy and I were creating the outlines for these episodes, like a while ago, the strength one was a fuzzy one for me because I thought mm-hmm. that it just felt kind of indefinable. Like his strength is a really broad word with a lot of like a lot of different values they can place on it. We've already replaced two or maybe three kind of through just through this course of this conversation sure. of how you can define it. And and we can also put different characters to it as well that and, and it feels right. It doesn't feel wrong. So I was like, well, how is like what's Ragnar's strength or like how how do I even view strength in the in the series at all? So I had Fractal, who's like one of our, our good friends and a uh, member of our Discord, just kind of throw out to the greater community because Fractal helps run part of our Discord. Mm-hmm. And like, hey, just just ask everybody, what is strength to you in the Red Rising series? A lot of people came back with similar answers in this way. It was like guts or resilience or and it was like the ability to press on through, you know, or perseverance rather, like yeah. to, put, to put one word on it. There's tons of answers that were similar to that. And I was like, you know, that's really good. And that's what I would think too. Mm-hmm. But that's not Ragnar. Like right. it is, it is Ragnar because Ragnar is resilient and has that quality to him. But that's not how I would define Ragnar. Yeah, because if you go down that road, then really Darrow should name himself. And not yeah. in like a not in like a corny like <laughs> way. But honestly, like if you're gonna 
have your son sit on your lap and you actually do something extremely well in life, I don't think it's cheesy or weird to say, hey, in this area, yeah, I do want you to grow up to be like me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility at all. But just like my inclination would be put Darrow first in what you just categorized. Um, and maybe, you know, Victor might fit in that as well and under those definitions, mm-hmm. uh, several certainly, but he chose Ragnar and you're, and you're absolutely right. Like we have to ask ourselves, like, why did Pierce say Ragnar yes. exemplifies strength? And if Ragnar does, then we have to try to understand what definition are we using of strength? Yes. And so I did a lot of putting around on this and, and for like a lot, like truthfully, like a month or two. Like it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't something that came naturally because Ragnar is physically gifted. We know that mm-hmm. super won, won the bench press contest, as you noted. <laughs> Uncle Nero won some scratch on that, I believe. Uh, math, uh, Mathar. <laughs> Ragnar, hey, hats off to Ragnar and Mathar. You guys are one of the same. Um, no, so, but also like Ragnar is definitely resilient, has this resiliency to him mm-hmm. and and can push through. And I think of that scene where the ship, there's going down where they're going to the ice and he comes back, he runs back to a half, uh, half the ship is blown off in the back and he fires a rocket launcher out. I was like, <laughs> how, do you, how do you do that? Like you can't that's do that awesome. without some level of resiliency, like to fire, like a, a, you're in a spaceship that's going down and you're still running to the back, firing a rocket launcher out. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things I could point to about Ragnar's resiliency. But again, it's not that quality that we're talking about. It's, it's strength, but what definition of strength are we using to your point and to what you said? And I kind of just fell onto this on accident. I didn't really, I was just kind of, I think I was just sitting on my couch just thinking about it with my computer, kind of like, what is like that superpower? Like Darrow's superpower is his resilience, but that's not Ragnar. So what is his? And it's his altruism. Hmm. Like Ragnar has this ability and if that's a $5 word. So let's, <laughs> let's define that a little bit because you and I usually use one or $2 words. So um, altruism is an unselfish regard or devotion to the welfare of others. Like that is, is his strength, right? That's Ragnar's strength always sacrificing for other people, always putting himself in at the end of golden sun, getting on his knees, putting his head on his hands next to Darrow, aligning himself, putting himself in harm's way, becoming his moniker, the shield of Tinos, always being the shield and not the blade. There's this amazing quote right here that says that Darrow is speaking to, um, after Ragnar's passing, Darrow is speaking to Severo. I think he'd always thought himself a blade before he met us. We let him be what he wanted, a protector. Like mm. that's his natural station in life. That's, and it's, it's very like, I think it's the opposite of what you think when you think of an obsidian. You think of these obsidian that go into battle and then they just rake bodies, you know, just like the body counts going boom, 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 boom. And where Ragnar does that, again, physically right. gifted, powerful, strong, like a good fighter. But that's not, like that's not Ragnar's natural position in life. Natural position is to be a protector. Yeah, I, I think the thing that you have to delineate with what you're saying, and, and I don't want to speak for you, so tell me if I'm wrong, cool. but um, it seems like obsidian culture, you could make the argument that they are by nature self-sacrificial, right? Their job is to be taken in by an elite gold family and serve them to death. But I think that that characteristic that that defines that is actually duty. It's, I, and it's also part of their slavery. It yes, it's it's yeah. d- 
but they feel a, an absolute but sense they of do duty have, toward, yeah, toward, you're right, you're toward right. the, their, the fact that they are slaves. And the sense of accomplishment, um, very much kind of like reminiscent of, of Viking culture because they have the afterlife. So it's like, if I serve and I complete my duty with yeah. my utmost, my reward will actually be on the other side, mm -hmm. right? So there, it's not self-sacrificial because of their belief in the afterlife and the reward that they will reap for serving their duty um, to that gold family. Uh, what you're talking about is actually that Ragnar, uh, and I would say from the scene in the freezer where Darrow kind of puts freedom on the table mm -hmm. um, and says, if you desire this, pick it up. Yeah. And from when he comes out and rejoins the group, um, you see a very different Ragnar. You see one no longer um, doing his duty toward Darrow, toward uh, Mustang, toward anybody, but instead uh, he's unshackled and now he is actually just completely laying himself bare and self-sacrificial even beyond death. Yeah. Well, let's, let's visit this, this moment. I didn't know what to bring this up because it's a, kind of a hard moment to bring up. Um, but I think it speaks to what you're saying. So in chapter 30 of Morningstar, we, we have to, we have to say goodbye to Ragnar and it's yeah. one of the hardest moments in the original trilogy to read and to reread and to listen to an audiobook or to what, however you digest it. It's, it's a difficult moment. And I have cried like several times while encountering this passage or this part of the book. Um, it just, and not like, you know, full on tears, but it, it gets you, it really does. It kicks you in like the stomach. And the way that I think that this, this altruistic view of who Ragnar is, is so defined by his last few breaths and his last few moments. And I want to, I want to visit this quote and just read what Ragnar says in his last few breaths. So here it is. He's talking to Darrow. I will give Eo your love. I will make a house for you in the veil of your father's. It will be besides my own. Join me there when you die. But I am no builder. So take your time. We will wait. Everything that Ragnar says in that, he's using I statements, like meaning like himself, mm -hmm. but it's all for Darrow. It's not mm -hmm. for himself. It's not about his reward. Like you said, it's not about like, I did my duty. I'm going to go and I'm going to enjoy the privileges of the afterlife now. Right. It's, it's all about, I'm going to go give your love to Eo. I'm going to go make a house for you in the veil of your fathers. I'm not going to my heaven. I want to go to your heaven. Yeah. Like which red heaven and obsidian heaven are not the, are not the same, right. not the same place. Um, I'm going to make it right beside my own. And then I want you to join me there. Like, but then he says like, but I'm no builder. So take your time. I'll wait. I'll wait for you. Like do what you got to do here. I'm right here for you. I'm waiting for you on the other side to again, to serve you again, to be by your side again, to be your friend over there again. Like just no other character is like this in this that's, series. That's insane. And you miss him. You miss him instantly. Mm -hmm. You feel the gravity and the punch of his absence uh, throughout the rest of the book and especially into the second trilogy. You feel there, the hole that's left there uh, in the second trilogy is noticeable and palpable. But that's like, that. that's what, when I think of, you know, Ragnar, I think of altruism yet, but I think that again, that's his superpower. That's his strength. That's how you define it. Yeah. And 
I think it's worth pointing out the very endearing little point he makes about how he's not a builder, right? Because yeah. he, he's a he's a fighter, he's a brute, and um, it's going to take him a while, right? So it's like <laughs> it's give me time, and oh my gosh, it's like even in the in the midst of this heavy heavy moment um, that's absolutely worth exploring. There's this little endearing kind of thing he, t- he yeah. Kind of it's puts like take your time. I'm not. I don't know yeah. how to build a house, but. The point that's worth talking about is exactly that. And, and that's why this is such an amazing quote out of, out of chapter 30 mm-hmm. is because, like you said, it, this, this is not his reward being obsidian heaven, the afterlife, right? Mm-hmm. He's actually wanting to go to the veil, a, a place that is not naturally um, the belief structure of his people. Mm-hmm. And instead, he's going to Darrow's to serve him. Mm-hmm in perpetuity forever, essentially. Yeah. And that's crazy. Yeah. Like, it's so easy to look at somebody who, uh, you know, wants to do good in this life. Or if you look at scales and you're like, you know, as long as the the good side outweighs the bad side, like I'm good in this life mm. and my reward could be in the next. Um, but I mean, who does that? Who who actually literally is like, no, like because obsidian red culture have very firm beliefs in afterlife, right? Yeah. That this is something that um, is so incredibly important, and for him to just have just indifference about, it. and not, not indifference, but like he he willfully gives it to Daryl, yeah, um, to serve him. I mean, nothing, and that's why the word altruism is so uh, spot on here for uh, Ragnar's superpower, because I don't think anything else exemplifies it than giving up the afterlife for you. So I guess like, so that's what Ragnar's superpower is. It's like, mm-hmm. again, it's altruism. I know we're using that word a lot, but it just really drives home the point. So then how do you think that links again to now Pierce's sentence, like as the writer, as the author, how do you think that links to him saying, you know, the rage of Ares and the strength of Ragnar? Like, how does that come in? Like, how does, because he doesn't, why didn't he just say the altruism of Ragnar? Like, right, why, right. why didn't, so why do you think that, that was made. I think it's because, um, you know, the giving of himself is what ultimately is his quality. That is his strength. I think it takes root, I think is what you're asking, in the fact that um, he is the glue that bonds the rising together. Um, He has this level of cohesion um, which is a type of strength. And, and I think the strength that, that Pierce is getting at. So he has this cohesive quality because of his altruism that honestly is like a massive engine on the rising. I mean, can they move forward without it? You have Darrow, and we already mentioned he went into the box, right? That, that it shows his uh, resilience, uh, his perseverance. But in his absence... Normally, when you have a massive, strong, charismatic leader like Darrow is, and that one person gets taken out, everything, it's it, a house of cards. Yeah, house of cards it, it, it falls it just, apart. It's done, right? And you see, despite Severo being unable to pick up that mantle um, when you visit Tinos, you find that it's in fact Ragnar who has actually kept everything together behind the scenes, who has... Um, chosen to bring Mustang back into the fold, who is kind of making these decisions. Yeah, kind of calling shots behind the scenes. And you find that Ragnar, not only is he cohesive, but he's kind of this like in disguise 
leader of mm. of the rebellion. Uh, and I don't think he would qualify himself as that either. But you really see him pick up a lot of those leadership qualities. That's funny because I don't. I think that you would, as a reader, I don't think that I would be like, yeah, Ragnar is a leader, like on face value. Right. You have to like kind of look at it on that next level and go, yeah, like you know, I think that he really is that leader. That I mean, I think both there's a tandem as dancer and Ragnar, kind mm -hmm. of like on different fronts, you know, kind of keeping things together while Darrow was in the box. Um, I want to go back and, and visit uh, something I talked about just a second ago and and, and talk about more about like Ragnar and, and kind of his legacy, I guess. Like that's the best way I can frame it up. But I, even though I feel that as a reader, I, I feel that weight and I feel that like that hole in my stomach from the moment that Ragnar passes away in chapter 30, which is, only about the midpoint of Morningstar. It's, it's, it's a book that I believe just goes over a little over 60 chapters I, I, or around that 60 chapter mark. And then again, into that second trilogy, you know, Ragnar's not there, obviously. Um, but that it was so important, weirdly important for him to pass away because we got that moment, you know, and one thing I didn't say, I want to go back to this too, is he says these words to Darrow in his dying moments, but then he turns to his sister, Sefi, and says, live for more. That's really like his last thing he says. He's not, so in that moment, he's imparting that strength that he has, that altruism onto other people. Mm -hmm. It's it's not, so it's like, what if Ragnar did, I mean, I know we play the what if game like kind of often, but it, it is an interesting exercise. What if Ragnar does live and goes throughout the duration of Morningstar? It would have been too easy, like mm -hmm. truly. Like Ragnar would have rallied all the obsidian on the ice. They would have went back to to Luna and just boom, done. Raked. Yeah. yeah, raked. Just Dark Revolt uh, number two that was successful. And it would have been just obsidian overthrow in a, in a way. But what he does in his death by giving these words to these two characters and then coming back you know, chapter 35 was something you referenced last week and you have this moment where it's just Darrow and Severo with Ragnar's body in this room and there's the three of them there. And Severo has just become so much more open and honest and he's kind of becoming a new self. And he's like, you know, I want to have kids one day. I want something more to live for. And I think that you don't have that version of Severo without this lesson learned and this passing off of that torch, that altruistic torch over to Severo. In fact, there's a chapter we're going to talk about in a couple episodes from now where chapter 54, where Severo becomes Ragnar in a way, like the spiritual successor to him. And like and even, even Darrow's own words, he says in that moment in chapter 54, he says Severo, he's like, I'm witnessing a friend rebirthed. So it, it, it happens. It, it, it needed to happen almost for the other characters in a way, like for, for Ragnar to go. So Severo could come and be that new version of Severo that the story did need in order to propel and go forward. Yeah. And kind of this actually feeds right into the leadership like we were talking about is because bad leaders don't want to give up their position, mm. right? Ragnar could say, hey, I've kind of been moving in and am sort of in line for Darrow's right-hand guy. Um, but that's not Ragnar's priority, right? Good leaders are team builders. That, that's what gives, again, that cohesion and that laying aside because they're, they're willing to be surpassed by people that they're putting in the proper place on the bus. So like I said, he, he brought Mustang in. 
Um, you brought up Severo, which is a wonderful thing because not only is he going to find Severo, his proper seat on the bus, but at the time, I would argue, this is my personal opinion, is that Severo wasn't worthy of that seat yet, mm. that he hadn't grown into the person he needed to. And Ragnar develops him, right? Yeah. Through life and through his death. Yeah. Develops Severo into the person he needs to become in order to occupy that proper seat on the bus. Yeah. So you just, you see Ragnar continue to sacrifice um, his time, his position, his authority, everything to kind of work behind the scenes as the team builder of the rising and make sure that um, everybody has their right seat on the bus. For sure. There's one more thing I want to talk about and discuss um, before we get out of here. And that is, you know, you have like this, this in-world idea of what strength is and what it looks like. You know, with this, what we're defining as altruism, the in-world meaning inside the books of Red Rising. It's like, would Pierce agree with that? That's a question that's I've kind of been lingering on my head. It was like, would Pierce agree with this take that we've created today? And through some digging, I think I think we're right. You know, I'm not trying to like pat ourselves in the back, but it's only because Pierce explicitly says so in chapter 20 of Morningstar. And I'm gonna read the quote here for you. This is Kavix speaking to Darrow. Do you think Virginia would have let you live in that tunnel when you and Ragnar were on your knees if she did not believe in your new world? She would have killed you on the spot if she thought you were her enemy. But when she sat before my hearth as a girl, besides Pax and my children, what stories did I read them? Did I read them myths of the Greeks, of strong men gaining glory for their own heads? No. I told them tales of Arthur, of the Nazarene, of Vishnu, strong heroes who wished only to protect the weak. think that they completely coincide like pierce brown as an author is saying to us the readers this is what it's like this is what when you have great strength the best thing you can do with that strength is offer it to other people and to and to embody some of the, the characters the people that he's mentioned here and he's and you could easily slide ragnar into that same sentence and it would feel perfect so like yeah. i feel like that when we talk about the strength of Ragnar, it is altruism. And I think that Pierce would back that up because he actually mentions it here and what altruism looks like by demonstration by these other characters in yeah. chapter 20. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you know, he uses the Greeks. What comes to my mind is the Roman Empire, you know, and, and you could easily point to that as well, which, you know, Pierce does a lot with, with Roman mm -hmm. culture for the society and, and they love the Romans as well. And you could easily kind of look at that expansion, that domination, the empire building of um, the Roman empire and kind of say like that strength, you know, and, and Pierce is, is actually um, counterbalancing that with the idea of uh, character, you know, one character who literally was in the Roman empire yeah. and, and lived amongst that oppression, uh, you know, Arthur, who, was all about, again, exactly what we talked about with, um, with Ragnar is that the shield, right? Mm -hmm. like if, you, if you read Arthur, Arthur was a defender of the people um, of the British Isles where all this was happening of, of infighting and who's gonna be the dominant um, lord or what have you of, um, of the area. It's like, who's actually defending the villages, the people, um, mm -hmm. loved ones, and that, and that was Arthur. So uh, I, I think that you're completely right. Like Ragnar 
fits the bill perfectly to what Pierce is saying. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up there. Next week, we're talking about the honor of Cassius, mm-hmm. which is, I know for me, when I uh, we were creating the outlines, the two that I circled that I was most excited to talk about were the Rage of Ares and the honor of Cassius. Very much looking forward to that. Um, people that have villainized Cassius, watch out, because I'm coming for you on that. Because <laughs> uh, that I, I find this is one of the best redemption arcs ever. And so uh, I'm going to show you how wrong you are if you've ever d- disliked Cassius. Wow, big so, claims. Yeah. I can't wait to hear your thoughts now. <laughs> well, I, I haven't formulated them all yet, but I'm, I'm going to, and I, I have strong like emotional feelings about awesome. it, but I'm going to formulate those thoughts more. So until next time, Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper, guys. Hail Reaper is produced by Philip, known as Oracle, Jeremy, known as Checkmate, and Matha, known as Broadcast. It's beamed to you across the airwaves, all the way from Deep Grave Studios. Our intro theme was composed by Matha. The track you're hearing now is Grey by Sahab. Our broadcast visuals were created by the amazing Leslie Ray. Thanks to Pierce Brown for creating this universe, and thanks to all the contributors who make this show possible. Dream of EO never would have happened without the support of some gory damn fine howlers. They're all part of our incredible Patreon community, where we issue monthly bonus content, exclusive artwork, and hang about with the rest of the pack over on Discord. Visit patreon.com slash hellreaper to learn more. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for updates, giveaways, and more. The Dream of EO is a seven-part limited series, but if that's not enough, we host a companion show called Beyond the Veil, which will air live on our YouTube channel every other Monday during its initial run. It's a peek behind the curtain at what goes into making the show and what it takes to build a community online. You can send your burning questions about the series to hellreaperpod at gmail.com with the subject line, Beyond the Veil. This is Broadcast, signing off. Until next time, hail the gory damn reaper.